Hallelujah. Well, we're glad to have you with us today, and I'm glad to be back in the house of the Lord. Praise God. So uh, I'm uh, here. Phyllis is still recuperating for what she's been doing. She said it's been taking care of me. That's it. Are you kidding me? The other day I found snacks for pastor, and it was 20 pounds of gravy train. So I am not eating those snacks. Hey, I'm glad that you're here with us today. And uh, today we're starting a uh, series of messages that we've got some cards uh, made up of that we're asking you to use as invite cards. So we're going to be talking about things that can really help people get set free. And uh, so I'm going to be sitting in the chair this week. They tell me next week I should be fine and dandy. And, uh, but Philip, Phyllis keeps outrunning me a couple steps, so I'm not up to par yet. And, uh, but let's turn our Bibles today to Luke, the fourth chapter, and verse 16. We're going to read from verse 16 through 20. The entitlement of the message is leaving the place of brokenness. Leaving the place of brokenness. In Luke 4:16, and it says, And he came to Nazareth, talking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, or as what he did as a way of life in his community, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister. He sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. In some translations, oh, and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Some translations say that Jesus took the scroll, he rolled it back up and handed it to the uh, head of the synagogue. What this begins to tell us is this important fact. Number one, the time that Jesus is telling us about is a prophetic time. It has been prophesied just about 700 years before Jesus is ever born. It is prophesied by Isaiah that this Messiah would come and that he would be anointed to do certain demonstrations that would verify who he was and where he had come from. So Jesus comes, and when he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
in today is this declaration or this scripture fulfilled, Jesus tells us that for 700 years, God has been looking forward to this day. Somebody say this day. And this is a prophetic day. It is a day where God is taking what prophets have said would happen and he is bringing them to pass. He's putting them within our grasp. He's putting them within our reach. And Jesus comes, and so he's declaring the acceptable year of the Lord. The year of the Lord was a year of jubilee. Every 50 years was a jubilee in the nation of Israel. Every 50 years, every man's debt was forgiven. Every 50 years, every man's wrong was forgiven. And so in this 50 years, there was a restoration, a renewal, as well as a re-establishment of past identities and boundaries. Now, some of you might uh, not believe in bankruptcy. But you know, God was the one that created bankruptcy in the nation of Israel every seven years and every 50th year. And anyone that understands anything about bankruptcy, now if you do it on purpose and try to take advantage of the system, you're wrong. But you realize that the system that you and I live off of and the system that Israel operated off of was a tax system. The only way to keep people involved in the tax system was keeping their money free enough that they could spend it so that taxes could go from hand to hand, government to government, from business to business. And so when it talks about in the Old Testament, the seven years, that was a year that was like a bankruptcy year. God even said to about the poor that if you know they're going to be coming up on the seventh year, don't withhold what you're loaning them. Because God knew that the bankruptcy laws of Israel that he incorporated by grace and mercy would perpetuate wealth and increase in the nation of Israel. Such is it today in the United States of America Every day that we pay taxes, we pay taxes that has in it a cushion for the allowance of bankruptcy. Now, somebody say, well, I just don't think. I'm glad that God never asked us to think. Because the legalism that you try to enforce on another in the midst of their struggle is the same legalism that will come back and haunt you. It'll haunt you, your children, your friends, your in-laws. Let me tell you something. What you sow is what you're going to reap. And bankruptcy doesn't mean that people are lazy. It means that they have made financial mistakes. So God was merciful and gracious, and the United States follows that pattern, that when a man or a woman becomes overwhelmed by debt, they become unproductive in the tax system of America. And we need every person paying their taxes so our system 
functions normally and strongly. So is it wrong to file bankruptcy? It's wrong to intentionally misuse someone else's grace or gratitude or mercy extended to you for your own benefit. Nobody that is trying to take somebody should ever file bankruptcy. But if you find yourself in the place of bankruptcy and you don't know where to go, you don't know what to do, people may condemn you, but you know what? They haven't offered you a place to live. They haven't offered you a car to drive. They haven't offered your children new clothes that you can't afford. So for all of those that want to throw dirt on those that smell like they're giving up and dying, open up your house, invite them in, give them one of your cars, give them money for their kids' clothes, feed them for a couple years so that they can get ahead. Then can you tell me that you'll do anything to keep people out of bankruptcy? No, most people will condemn bankruptcy, condemn the one doing it, but never extend one finger of hope. That's love without action. That's not acceptable in the kingdom. Okay, we're going to talk today about leaving the place of brokenness. And when we talk about leaving the place of brokenness, it simply tells us this, that there has to be a place where we start. And one of the things about brokenness is this. Let me define a couple of things that Christians uh, use in the body of Christ. We say, oh, they got hurt. Hurt is not brokenness. Hurt is simply a scar, a misuse, but it is not a, an effect upon you that you become void, powerless, unproductive, that you become useless, that you become bound, that you become empty. That's not what hurt is. See, you could take a glass jar and it could hold water, but then somebody could scratch it with a key. Now, now it is hurt. The value is hurt. The outside of it is hurt, but it still holds water. But when someone is broken, when someone is truly broken, we have to understand that they are devastated. They are incomplete. They are segregated. It is impossible for a broken vessel to hold things that God has in store for their future. The word brokenness means to make ineffective. To make ineffective. It means to make void. It means to cause a season in their life to cease. It means to divide. It means to disconnect them from wholeness. It means to give birth to a new state that has never been experienced. If you had a glass jug or jar and you dropped it and you broke it, now it has a new identity, it has a new state. 
it has been transformed, now it's useless. Now, we say sometimes about people that we see that are hurt, we say things like this, and this is so unlike Jesus. Oh, they ought to get over it. Is that what Jesus would say? Well, we like to say this. Well, you've heard it. Go to Lowe's and buy a ladder. Well, what we're talking about is ladders can't get you over because they are operations, plans, and schemes of the enemy. And nothing in the natural, even our Christian cliches, can get people out of brokenness. And so what we do is we say, well, they just got to get beyond it. Well, why don't they just forgive them and go on? Well, why don't they just suck it up and move out? You know, those are all fine for people that don't understand the difference between hurt and brokenness. We need a spirit of discernment in the body of Christ today. We need a discerning spirit that will tell us the difference between somebody being hurt and hurts usually end up leading us to offense, leading us to criticism, leading us to repeating matters, leading us to really starting lies about a situation. Hurts don't really affect us. They just allow people when they are rehearsed to know that we have been wrong. Is it important to let people know that we have been wrong? No. Is it important for people to know that, well, I went to that church and I got hurt? Well, if you've been saved two days, you've probably been hurt. But you haven't been broken. You haven't been broken. You may have been bumped in too hard. You may have been not acknowledged. Somebody may have said an untruth about you, but that doesn't mean that you're broken. It means you're hurt. Don't let your hurts infect people with the ability to be offended, to start lies, and to repeat a matter that may not be true. Amen? Handle your hurts. We don't need an ambulance to come to our yard when we stub our toe. What we need to do is put our shoes on and keep walking. Too many people get all bent out of shape because they got hurt. Well, you know, I'd like to say that hurts will someday become a thing of the past, but only after you die and go to heaven. Because there are always going to be foolish, critical, ignorant, non-loving people in the church and out of the church. But let's not let their immaturity affect us. Have you ever been hurt by your spouse? Did you divorce them? I think I was hurt today. I, I, I was going through the other room and I said, man, my knee is sore. And Phyllis said, oh, honey, come and look at this. 
I said, could you bring it in here? And she said, well, never mind if you're not interested. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe you ought to get a knee operation. Anyway, I just sucked it up. And I realized it's early in the morning. She's tired. She's only had a gallon of coffee. About the third gallon, it'll begin to dawn on her that she's been a little harsh. Now, we have to get over her. Somebody say over her. Don't let somebody else's immaturity cause you to be a child. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus came to heal, not the hurt. Not the hurt. There are things you just need to deal with that come from people's personalities because they were made in the image of God, and whether you like their personality or not, God made them like that. Well, I just don't think God's happy with that. No, he might not be happy with the way you're acting, but he is happy with those people. Now, it says that Jesus came anointed, empowered by the Holy Ghost and by power to heal, to make whole, to restore to set free, to undo all of the damage that has been caused by brokenness. What is brokenness? Brokenness is the effects of a demonic plan or scheme that has been launched towards you. And it is far deeper than getting a ladder and getting over. Because only the anointing can heal the brokenhearted. Come on. Only the anointing. In other words, this is a supernatural restoration because of a supernatural devastation. When it talks about the brokenness of heart, it means that they, it is broken in their soul. It is broken in their emotions. It's broken in their feelings. It's broken in the heart of all they do. And even it's broken in their intellect. In other words, they can't process anything correctly because they're broken. We need to be able to discern the difference between broken and hurt. Could I get an amen? There are a lot of things that take place in people's lives that are broken, that are abnormal. Why? Because the devastation of the brokenness that the devil brought to pass is designed to destroy them to cause them to be separated from God and not to be able to hold anything. No hope, no joy, no counsel, no wisdom, no understanding, no faith. But see, we think there's something wrong with those people. There is. They're broken. 
they're broken. But many times we don't see the difference between brokenness and hurt. What do you think about the man that was on the road to Jericho that Jesus rescued that didn't have enough get up and go to walk out? Didn't say he was bound. Didn't say he was chained. Didn't say he was crippled. But he fell among thieves. But he didn't have, after he was so broken, he didn't have enough get up and do to himself that he could walk out of his situation. Now just look around you and think about the people that you and I come in contact with every day. They don't want to be like they are, but they are. They don't want to keep going through the cycle of having hope and then it draining out. Having faith and it leaking out. Having joy, waking up the next day depressed. People don't want that, but when you're broken, a broken jar cannot repair itself. It takes the help of God. It takes the touch of Jesus Christ. And so, when we talk about brokenness today, let's realize that we're not talking about weak people. We're not talking about immature people. We're not talking about substandard Christians. We're talking about people like you and I who gave our lives to Christ and some way, shape, or form, the devil made out a plan of attack to break our souls. That if a good thought comes, we don't think it's about us. If people around us are happy, all we do is wish that we could be like them. Where uh, many people are broken and we don't have the ability to discern so that we can help them. We need to help one another, amen? So when we see people in this state of brokenness, what happens is we almost become paralyzed. Now, the reason I say that we almost become paralyzed is this. We can see people so devastated and it not even move us to faith. Does that mean I don't care? I don't think it means you don't care at all. I don't think that it means that you're not interested. I don't think that it means that you don't want to help. What I think is that we are so ignorant concerning spiritual activity against brokenness that all we do is observe people and we let them stay broken. We let them stay broken. 
Would you want someone to leave you broken? No. Because you want to be whole. I don't know about you. I want to be happy. I'm not going to use the word happy. I want to be filled with joy. Happiness can come and go, and it's too independent on people and things to really be of any help. Joy in the midst of a world that is ruled by a demonic power, that joy will keep you living by faith. We want to, I don't know about you, I want to be strong in faith. I want to be positive. I want to have hope when everybody else is thrown in the towel. I want to be, what do you call it, a pessimist? I want to be a pessimist, not a pest, but a pessimist. I want to believe the best about everybody and everything. Optimist. That's why you weren't supposed to preach this message. I want to be an optimist. Phyllis tells me, honey, sometimes you make yourself so blind, you don't even know who your enemy is. She said, if somebody had come around the corner and ran over you with a truck, you'd say they must have missed their turn. <laughs> well, I do believe the best about people. And even if people hate me, don't like me, I, I figure they just don't know me. They need more exposure. And that's what they need. So we're going to talk about helping or allowing the anointing. You and I have been anointed to do the works that Jesus did. You know that there should not be broken people within our sphere of relationship and influence. And if there are, then God has anointed you to repair it. Yeah, you are a broken-hearted mender. That's who we are. People come and they're broken-hearted because of the things they go through life. You remember the man that brought his son? He said, if thou can doest anything. Jesus said, I can do anything. I just need for you to believe. And God can heal the most broken-hearted individuals. Because if we look back, we used to be them. I see people in this congregation that have lost children. Freak accidents, car accidents. I see people that lost their husbands, their spouses, said good night one night. The next morning, their husbands were gone. I see people that are brokenhearted because their kids are on drugs. Well, if they'd have done that, if they'd have done that. No, no, no. Remember, it didn't say, those of you that are broken, deliver yourself. That's not what it said. It said the works that Jesus did, we'll do, our all, we'll do also. So we are to be the healer of the brokenhearted. 
So if somebody is broken because of what their children's doing, since you're such an expert, get involved. Get involved. But we become paralyzed many times because we've really never seen anybody made whole. Now, we've seen people get healed. We've seen people get blessed. We've seen people come out of poverty, bankruptcy, you know, joblessness. We've seen people come out of all kinds of stuff. But very seldom do we ever really see a broken vessel restored to perfection. Let's you and I today talk about how we could do that. Now, I know that many of you just looked at me and said, boy, Pastor, you're walking pretty good. You're right, but in my mind, I'm not. So, here's what we want to do. We want to make sure that when we see people broken, pray this with me, pray, pray this with me, because we do need it. And some of the divisions that are in our families are because we have never been able to discern why people do what they do. You know, have you ever met someone that was in a, uh, we call them now, what do we call them? Uh, uh, a relationship that is toxic. What does that mean? It means it's killing you. And yet when a person gets out of one toxic relationship, they're like an old coon dog. They just follow their nose and go right back to what they came out of. And we think there's something weird about those people. Nothing weird about them. They're broken. They're just broken. You know your children make choices because they've been broken. Yeah. People in our world make choices because they're broken. They're broken. What if we didn't discern their brokenness? And they entered into places that they should not be, far below the expectations of us and of God. But it seemed like they can't even see that they need to be set free. Where does that come from? Brokenness. You know what? Your children may not be your enemy. They may just be broken. Brokenness comes by molestation. They come by addictions. They come by deep hurts, betrayal. You know, divorce breaks people. It destroys their ability to trust. It destroys their ability to change. It destroys their ability to love. So when they meet someone else, they get married, what do they bring in? They bring in the brokenness 
of the last relationship. And they penalized the one that God sent to free them based on their previous experience that caused brokenness. Listen, some, some of us, our spouses aren't just mean, they've just been broken. They've been broken. And we just use it like this. Oh, she's always been like that. She always does that. That's just the way she is. She's like her mother. I wish Phyllis was like her mother. Her mother was a nice southern woman that would get you a glass of water if you was on the couch. Phyllis wouldn't give you a glass of water if she was by the sink because she'd want to keep it cold. But you know what? I realize that there are a lot of things that I am, that my spouse is, that my friends are, that has nothing to do with their choices. It has everything to do with what is left over of the battle that Satan loosed on them to break them. To break them. How about insecurities? You know, Phyllis told me one time, I said, man, honey, I wish I was good looking. She said, if I was you, I'd use the rest of my life to capitalize on the time that I have because it ain't going to get no better, sweetheart. In other words, she was telling me, quit looking at what you think is coming and enjoy the good looks that you have. Enjoy your beauty. Enjoy your youth. Enjoy your strength. Enjoy your vitality. Enjoy life. Use it to its fullest capacity. Don't let the devil break you to the point that you can't even experience what God's got for you. Say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, open up my eyes and my spirit that, God, I will discern I will see clearly the broken state of people. I'm not afraid of a fight. I'm not afraid of confrontation. For God, you are with me. And I can do all things through the strength that you give me at every moment. Amen and amen. Now, we know that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Somebody say to heal. He came not with ordinary carpentry tools, but he came with spiritual weapons. Amen? Why? Because brokenness is a side effect of a spiritual being's activity called the devil. Called the devil. And so we want to make sure that we, as Christians, don't allow ourselves to try to fall into the trap of making people whole by humanistic attempts. 
If the devil has done something, folks, man can't undo it. It is only with God can we defeat him. And so the kingdom of God suffereth violence, but the violence take it by what? That means you got to get fed up with where you're at if you're ever going to come out. Now, God is not our enemy. God is not our enemy. The devil is our enemy, and God has given us spiritual weapons to turn this around. Do you know that one of the greatest medical needs in America today is freedom from depression. Depression. It seems so small. It seemed like, well, just get over it, get happy. You know, man, chill out, do, do something. No. Depression is something that comes to destroy and to break everything about man. He can't think right. He looked at himself, he sees failure. He has all sorts of insecurities. Now, you would think that if you look like me, you would have no insecurities. But I have a lot of insecurities. But I have to overcome them by faith in God. Amen? So we, as Christians, need to get mad. Say, get mad. You need to get mad enough that we decide that we're not going to stay broken. Now, what is the first step of finding out if we're broken? We're going to ask people. <laughs> no, no, you can't trust people. No, 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 Lord Jiminy, no. They'll tell you what they think is wrong with you. I want you to tell yourself what's wrong with you. How do we do that? James 1.23, we go to the mirror and we look in it. And if the mirror says, have hope, where there is no hope, if you find yourself without hope, then you need to be mended. If you find yourself without joy, wouldn't you just like to really be a hilarious Christian? Nobody. Well, wouldn't you just really love to love life? Yes. Hallelujah. I would love to be able to go to Walmart wanting to buy whatever I wanted and getting there, watching the woman go down the aisle with the last one and still be happy when I got outside. But from the time that I see her doing that to the time that I reach the car, there is a raging battle between my senses and what I think that woman should have done for a man of God. Yep. How about, I just want to be happy. 
when I look at myself in the mirror, if the mirror says joy unspeakable and full of God's joy, glory, presence, his feeling tangible presence with me, and I don't feel that, there's something wrong. If I can't love my brother, there's something wrong. If I can't even get through a Sunday morning service without being ticked off, there's something wrong. Because you put up with your boss cussing and everything, and just because he signs your check, you don't let it bother you. But you come to church and somebody says one thing, you get ticked off. No, we have to get beyond that. So the first thing that we're going to do, we're going to look in the mirror. Somebody say, look in the mirror. We have to realize that whatever God said about us, he wants for our life. God is not our enemy. He is our helper. So God does not want to leave us broken. God wants to make us whole. Good again, amen. Absolutely. So if we want to get people whole and we want to be whole ourselves, the first thing we need to do is start relying on spiritual weapons. One of my favorite weapons that I use to fight against the enemy is a thing called fasting. And if you'll go to Isaiah, the 58th verse, and verse 6, we're going to look at what fasting will do. We're going to quickly look at it. Please do a deeper study into fasting on this because it is a great, great resource of spiritual ability to defeat things that we cannot overcome. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Now notice what God has done. He has chosen a fast, a weapon for us. Now, this fast is chosen by God to loose the bands of wickedness. To loose the bands of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that who breaks every yoke? Who? Ye. Do you know that you're a yoke? breaker you are a band loosener you are removal remover of heavy burdens and you can let the oppressed go free you can somebody say I can I want you to realize what you just said each and every one of you can help people that are broken and in this situation each and every one of you. I would say look at yourself, but I don't know how you do that. Look at your neighbor and say this, you have been anointed. You are a healer of the brokenhearted. You are a band destroyer. You are an oppressor 
freer. You are one that undoes heavy burdens. Now that doesn't mean just for yourself. That means for the whole world. For the whole world. So we need to use fasting. Come on, somebody say fasting. It's not a cuss word. It is a spiritual word. Fasting. The second thing we need to do is we need to do what every Christian is supposed to do. Somebody say pray. Pray. Now let's go to Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 26 through 28. Now I know that you know all these weapons, but I just want you to pick them up, dust them off, and use them again. Use them again. Romans 8 chapter, it says, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray. When we are praying for people that are broken, we may not know what they've been through. We may not know what triggered it. We don't know what brought them to such an end. But God knows. We don't know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Holy Ghost, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. See, you are not the repairer by yourself. You are a repairer alongside the ultimate restorer, the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will help you pray. Pray. And so that's one of the things we need to do, not just in the natural, but in the spiritual. Could again, amen. Absolutely. We need to use fasting and we need to pray. And if we don't see results, then we need to rely and depend upon the one that said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Ghost will come upon us. And we can see results. Hallelujah. And then the other thing that we have is Romans of 14 chapter verse 17 through 20 it talks about abraham taking the promise of god and speaking things which things that are are not as though they are and then it talks about him being strong against unbelief by giving thanksgiving unto god that is enforced in psalms 8 2 that says that we, when we start worshiping God, that the praises of God's people stills, binds, imprisoned, makes inactive the work of the adversary. Could we give five minutes for someone that we know or have discerned is broken? 
Could we give them five minutes of worship to the one that heals those that call upon him? Could we stand in the place of faith and lift our hands and say, God, you are the healer of the brokenhearted. Not only praying for others, but how about ourselves? Some of the greatest changes that I have ever had in my life did not come from somebody's teaching, did not come from Phyllis's instruction, did not come from everybody else's criticism. It came from the presence of God. Where I've worshipped him, where I've lost track of time, where I just needed him because he was the source. And I worshipped him. And some way, God's presence would come and in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's done faster than you could write the name of Jesus. We've all had these experiences. We have just forgot them. We've just forgot them. We forgot to share them with people. But some of the greatest breakthroughs, things that I needed help in, things that I could not get a handle on, I had to spend time with God. Had to spend him, he who inhabits the praises of his people. And he would come. And you can't explain God and I can't explain him. I just know that when his presence comes, something has to go. That's what I know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The last thing we need to do is start speaking things that are not as though they are. How about speaking about Jim, John, Judy, Jody, Jacob, Nathaniel, whoever it might be. God, I want to thank you that he's been set free from brokenheartedness. I perceive God and discern that the devil has laid waste to his life. And that God, you can mend him today. I want to thank you, God, that every memory that you bring to me of Jacob, I'm going to lift my hands and say, God, thank you that he was broken, but now is he mended by the Spirit of the Lord. Absolutely. Let's start using just these four weapons that we talked about. Just four. And there are hundreds of them. First of all, let's discern how many people are broken around us. Secondly, let's get real and let's get aggressive and Force freedom to be granted from the devil's power. Let's fast, let's pray, let's worship, and let's speak things 
that are not as though they are. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's everybody stand to your feet today. I'll be preaching Wednesday evening, so I want to encourage you to come. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Nikki, would you get me six people? Get Bud, and uh, I want to line up here. I just want to pray, have men pray for you today. And women pray for you today. That your lives will be transformed. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have to wait. Today is. Somebody say today is the day of salvation. I'm going to ask these men and women to lay hands on you and that they pray that, God, you would mend broken hearts. Erase insecurities. God thoughts about their self that certainly were not born of you. Now, God, I pray for each and every one of the people in this congregation. God, as we're getting ready to pray, I also pray for those of you that are here that do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I don't know what the devil's done, but I do know what Jesus stands here today to do. He called out to all lost humanity, Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. Salvation is free. Been provided at the cross, at the death of Jesus' life. But you have to accept it today. You have to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. And then let Jesus begin this supernatural, awesome journey of healing your brokenheartedness. Experience joy, love, forgiveness, and eternal life. I'm going to ask you right now that if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to raise your hand up. Wherever you are right now, please raise your hand. Raise it up so I can see it. Wave it, shake them, hallelujah. I want to see it. Anybody here today that says, Pastor, that's me. All right, praise God. Anybody else that has their hands up, Pray this prayer with me. Let's everybody pray it. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ was your Son. And I believe that He died for my sins. And that on the third day, God, after being laid in a tomb, you raised Him from the dead. I now believe and declare by faith that Jesus is Lord of my life. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive you now 
as my Savior. Amen and amen. And if someone that is around, someone that raised their hand, would you please bring them to, where is Ed? Bring them to Ed right there, the masked marauder. And uh, bring him right over, bring them to Ed so that he can get them some information. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we lose God, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He's here. He's here. He's healing, mending, repairing, directing. He's showing us and allowing us to discern hurt from brokenness. God, may your mercy reign today upon us and upon those that we know and those that we love. Use us, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And if you're here and you want prayer, please come right down and these ladies and gentlemen are going to be praying for you and miracles are going to take place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Eric.